a quote I love very much. I think it's from Pablo Picasso. Uh, it's it's good artists copy, great artists steal. I love it very much because copying is just mimicking. Stealing is you just take the best concepts everywhere. You just steal them without any regret, but you then bring them together in, some, in something completely new. That's a great artist. Welcome to What Are We Talking About, a podcast produced by Water Online. Hosts Jim Laurier of Maisie Injector Company and Adam Tank of Transcend Water, a dynamic boomer millennial combo, will help you demystify how to build a better brand for your business, keep current and prospective customers engaged with your company, and ultimately grow your sales. They interview some of the most interesting and unique water professionals who have used the art of storytelling to move the needle for themselves and for their organizations. So today's guest is Wim Odenat. He's the CEO and co-founder of AM Team, a company that does computer design modeling for the water and process industries. And I first got to know Wim through his work with the International Ozone Association and the good work he's doing around ozone design and the use of computer uh, modeling for that type of water treatment. And Wim, I first got to know you through LinkedIn. You're very prolific on the site. You post a lot of really good um, clips and videos and some really clever editing. And I, I have to start this show off by saying a company with the name of AM Team is not common in our industry. The work that you do, a company would typically be called modeling experts, water modeling experts, right? United or whatever, but you chose AM Team. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about the company, why you chose AM Team and we'll get the, get the show started. Okay, uh, yeah, let's start with the name of the company. Well, first of all, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Adam, for yeah inviting me. It's a, it's a great pleasure. Uh, I mean, I think you will agree our industry needs more initiatives like this podcast. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, the name AM Team it is obviously derived from the A-Team. So I think especially the U.S. people, they know this uh, television series very well. There is actually a lot of, uh, there are two things very important in that name for us. The first one is uh, the, the mission. So these are like four very different people, but they dare. They dare to do things. They dare, dare to do missions that not many other people would do. Uh, and second, it's about the team. So the team part is one of our core values of our company. So, I mean, if you're not a team player, you can never work for AM team. Uh, the A team is a very nice example. I mean, if you just isolate one of them, they suck. They are very bad. I mean, they, they could not accomplish the mission, right? They are so specialized. But if you put them together, uh, they, they are fantastic. So the whole philosophy of our business is also to bring together people that are wired very differently. They have ethnicities that are very different. They are international. They have skills, strengths, weaknesses, characters that are very different, and it all works out. That's that's really a core philosophy in our company. So that's a bit the so it's one hand the ambition, the mission, and on the other hand is the team, which is a core uh, value of our company. 
When why why did you start the company? I'm very interested. And Adam and I talked about this. Why 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 start a company uh, to do this kind of work? Yeah, first, um, yeah, first we wanted to start companies because we felt uh, we were not like really born to do something else. For me personally, for example, I always envisioned an academic career because then you start at university, you start doing a PhD. I started doing a postdoc and I really had set the ambition to become a professor. And then suddenly I started thinking uh, between the work, is this really something for you, like an academic career? Just think about it, because once you go for such a position, it's so hard, probably, to get out again, mentally. Uh, and then I started thinking, and I, I, I found out, oh, wow, I, I, I love dynamics. I love uncertainty. I love innovation. I love trying to do things and with a little bit of risk. Uh, so, yeah, this might be something. And then, of course, if you look at the, and it was similar for my co-founders, uh, they were also used to be academics, but they also had some entrepreneurial aspirations. We started talking. But then, of course, if you look at the business itself, we saw a huge opportunity. I mean, we saw a lack of companies doing this. And we thought we were we had something special. We could do very good computer simulations with a very practical mindset combined with a very good understanding of the water industry. And yeah, we thought this would, would make us unique. And we started this company. And from day one, we envisioned to have a global company uh, working at the international scale. Yeah. So, Wim, you, your company does very technically complex work around modeling. I mean, if I, I'm sure if I sat in on a conversation, I wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. And I would almost guarantee that most people in the water industry probably also don't understand what the hell you do. But in some way, you still manage to tell the story of what your company does and the way you market yourselves very, very approachably. So how do you think about getting the word out about the company and what you do, taking something very complex and then telling a story around it that the majority of people can understand? Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah, very good question and very relevant for many let's say, scientific or tech entrepreneurs coming with technical solutions. Uh, I, I think you, you, are, you have similar challenges, right? Uh, you're also very specialized in what you do. And you have to, in one or the other way, make your business work. And it only works if your customers want to pay for it. Um, and they only pay for it if they see the value, right? So, um, yes, uh, we have thought a lot about it. And I mean, we have come of, of, from uh, far away. Yeah? We have... We, we have come from far. When you start as an academic, you have no clue how to do very good communication because you are trained to present at scientific events, which, is, which needs a style that is completely different than if you were to present commercially for a customer. Um, and we had to train ourselves to be better at it. I mean, we can still do a lot of improvements. We are not yet there because we still get a lot of feedback. But yeah, I think the, the, the core idea is that um, Probably you have to just uh, find the pains. Huh? You have to start listening to the market, find their pains, their pains, the real pains. What is the pain they want to have resolved tomorrow? Not when in a year, but tomorrow. And if you, I think it's all a matter of communicating about the pains and the stress and the, and the worries they have. And this is, yeah, it's the customer need. And I, I don't think this will be very different from our business than for any other technical business, let's say. 
is it's all about the pains. So for example, if people are designing a new plant, probably it's wise to, in our case, to communicate about the uncertainty associated with process design. So you're bu building a very expensive installation, you're under time pressure, and what, how can we help to relieve the stress and improve or increase the uncertainty for a better design? With a project that only takes a few weeks, not like months, not very heavy, you don't need a lot. Yeah. So I think on one hand, you have to make them aware of the pains and that you have the solution, but not, not enough. On the other hand, you also have to communicate probably that the solution doesn't take too much effort, not too long, and there is not too much input, input needed from them. That's also important, probably. Yeah. You, you and your yeah. company do a really good job of uh, presenting at trade conferences and, and webinars. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, that strategy and how you're looking at it to gain benefit for the company? Yeah, well, uh, when I look at my personal um, experiences, starting out as an academic, of course, building the network was so important. And how do you build the network? The best place to do that is in-person conferences. And it still is today, uh, despite all these COVID situations, how many people now are saying, oh man, I've had it with these virtual events. It's just done. I am done with it. So in-person is so important. And I was doing a PhD in ozonation and advanced oxidation. So it's a niche area of the water treatments and wastewater treatments. And I went, of course, to a lot of IOA events, the International Ozone Association. I went to the US part of it, the European part of it. And I met a lot of people in the, in the industry. And I would say it's a similar with WEF or IWA. These networks are so valuable because you, don't, you not only get the chance to communicate about what you're doing, but you, if you look at, at it from a business perspective, yeah, you can, of course, build a valuable network with nice people and also do a lot of business development because these talks, these informal talks with a couple of beers, they give you so much in, uh, yeah, important knowledge. And you have to just write it down as much as you can, I think. IOA for me was a very good network. That's a very good example. I had a couple, a huge opportunities there to present, to network, to be involved in the young, the young professionals part of it. Um, yeah, very interesting. So when, when, you, when you are getting ready to make your next LinkedIn post or put something out on social media, you, you have a very different spin than what a lot of people a lot of people do, especially in the water industry. So I first want to start with, I'm a, let's put ourselves in the shoes of somebody listening to this podcast. So I'm a vendor of a product or service in the, in the water wastewater industry. And I want to make my first LinkedIn post. Where do you start? What's going on in your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very good question. It's not an easy one to answer because I believe for some people, it comes more natural than for others. And it, if it comes very natural, as it is the case, I think for me, I don't really have to do a lot of thinking. It's actually very hard to explain how you're doing it uh, because it comes natural, because there is not a, not a conscious strategy behind. So maybe that is the core principle. Be authentic, don't overthink and be yourself. And if you think, yeah, don't think too much, something will sound ridiculous or mind might be non-professional this is nowadays what people like i think people had it with the corporate videos they went back to the human connection 
they want the maybe not the perfect video anymore because it's so it's done. We are they want this one minute video that is real, maybe from the first take, not the fifth one, because they are already smaller when you have been rehearsing it. My best videos are the ones that are just recorded once, because when you do it the second or the third time, it doesn't work as natural anymore, at least for me. That's why I am also a bad person to work with scripts. If it's too much scripted, it's artificial. But of course, this strongly depends on the person. But then coming back to your question, um, I think, yeah, they have to be themselves. And I think it will be much more important that you engage with their audience or their customers or their stakeholders rather than just uh, having the commercial interest uh, only. I mean, putting your commercial agenda in the front, having this as your number one priority, I don't think this is a wise strategy. So a no-go is, I think, to start selling. I think the selling part or the commercial benefits will might be a very good and important byproduct from what you're doing in an authentic way. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we noticed when, despite the fact that it's unscripted and it it's uh, you know off the cuff, so to speak, you, you you have some high quality tools that you use. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, everything seems your camera work, your sound. Can you tell us about some of that? Why you chose to do the things you do in that regard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, and again, and it also relates to the previous question, the good news is, I think it's all low-hanging fruit. It's not overly complex and everybody has access to them. So, I mean, uh, a quote, a quote I love very much, I think it's from Pablo Picasso. Uh, it's, it's good artists copy, great artists steal. I love it very much because copying is just mimicking. Stealing is, you just take the best concepts everywhere you just steal them without any regret, but you then bring them together in, some, in something completely new. That's a great artist. So I have actually uh, a good information sources. I think you need two things. First, you need ideas and concepts. And that relates to the previous question. Where do, what to post? Where do I get my ideas? Which types of posts can you post? Well, just follow some people that are extremely good at it. For example, my core example is Gary Vaynerchuk. He might be familiar to you. I mean, if you just follow that one single person, you have 50% of your content because just, just steal the concepts of him, put it in your business context, and you have a lot of posts without any thinking. And most of them are, again, authentic, not overthought posts. So you need your ideas and concepts. And I think the best way to do that is to follow people that are extremely good at it. Second, you need your tools. If you have ideas to make them, put them in the market, of course, and produce, you need two parts, two two things of tools, uh, two uh, types, hardware and software. I mean, hardware is not rocket science. In my case, I use my iPhone, a tripod ordered on Amazon. It's like $20, $20 or $15. A Boya microphone. These are like these wired microphones, $20. So uh, it's sold on Amazon as well. And a light box, like two light boxes. If you have an inside recording, uh, these light boxes are also very available online. So this is my hardware personally. And then you have software. I have three main software platforms. They are for free. Well, except one. The first one is GIMP. 
which is an open source Photoshop software. It doesn't cost any money. You can download it to, today. Inkscape. So GIMP is for picture editing, photos. Then you have Inkscape, which is an open source version of Illustrator. So you can, can make titles, fancy logos with it. And then the third one is a video editing software. In my case, I'm using Pinnacle, which is not too expensive, like $30 or $20 for a, for a license and you bought it. This is my toolbox. This is my hardware toolbox and software toolbox. That's all. And then you need to combine it with the ideas stolen from somewhere else. And then, of course, not copy them, make your own thing with it and you're, you're started. You're listening to the What Are We Talking About podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. This podcast is produced by Water Online, the leading web-based community for water and wastewater professionals. Showcasing the knowledge and authority of industry thought leaders, Water Online provides actionable content from vendors you can trust. And now, back to today's podcast. This is so tangible, real, actionable. It's going to be great. People are going to love this. When I hear, you know, I, the hardware piece, that sounds easy, right? I, I spend 30 minutes on Amazon. I buy all those things. I get it set up okay. Talking about software, though, right? If I'm someone who's not necessarily technically savvy, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to learn right, Photoshop equivalent or the Illustrator equivalent. How much time is it taking you to do a typical post? And how much time should someone spend in creating, you know, their first presence online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, it can be very low barrier. I think many people overestimate it to get started. So the barrier, and that's why they don't get started. Uh, of course, video content uh, sucks up more time than a similar, just a simple post with a picture or a, or a text. Blog posts also take some a bit longer, uh, but yeah. So the low hanging fruit is like uh, like pictures. I would say uh, your some thoughts, some reflections. Um, in my case, I spend on average like half an hour, one hour to a very good post. The very fast post is like fifteen minutes, ten minutes, and you can do them very frequent because it's, it's like 10, 15 minutes, right? I mean, you have the idea in your mind. Of course, you need your notebook or something or a smartphone to capture all your ideas because they come and they come and you have to, to store them somewhere. Uh, but the execution part, even video editing, in the beginning, it took me a long time, but now I, I, I can produce quite a fancy video in like 20 minutes or so if you're good at it. But again, I wouldn't recommend, not everybody has to be creator because not everybody maybe is very good at it. But I'm just saying that you can do a lot yourself and it doesn't take too much, too long. Yeah, that's it. Excellent. So uh, shifting gears a bit, uh, Wim, you started a nonprofit, Sciencepreneurship. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Sciencepreneurship is like my hobby project. Um, in the future, I think I will further develop it along the way. But uh, it's a merger of science and entrepreneurship. And it is based on some on two core principles. First, the gap between industry and academia. So there's a big gap, we all know. And especially if you worked in one world and you enter the other world, you really notice the gap. Uh, there's not only a cultural difference, but the way how, how people work. And this is why not a lot of science gets to the market, or not in time, at least. And the second one is also 
imagine you are a researcher or have a scientific background and you want to start your own business. There are only a few, but there are people that actually should do it. Um, then the entrepreneurial skills are completely different than science skills, and they are even conflicting with them. One example I already named is how do you communicate at a conference or how do you write an article? I mean, writing a scientific article or a blog article for your customer audience, it's completely different. So I wanted to help a bit with this platform to communicate about my own journey and accelerate. I mean, I tried to reduce the gap between academia and industry, and I tried to stimulate people that have some entrepreneurial ideas to really go for it. Because in the end, I strongly believe in converting deep science into business. But you have to, uh, to have a dedicated strategy uh, around that. Wim, yeah. you know, people who are, are, we always use, we always pick on the pump vendors in this industry. So we're going to continue picking on the pump vendors. I'm a pump salesman. Let's say in the name, name your country in the middle of a country, I'm going out and I'm calling on customers. I'm listening to this show and I'm hearing Wim saying, I should have a social media presence, right? I should consider a side project. So maybe starting a nonprofit or something that's a, that's a passion hobby for me. Um, but, but how, like, how's this going to help me sell my product at the end of the day, I want to make more money for my company. What would you say to that person? How is this all going to help? Yeah. Well, I think uh, there might be two things I'm thinking on uh, two points. Maybe there are more, but I think the first one is, um, if you do what you like, what you're passionate about, even if it's a hobby project that is unrelated to what you're selling or doing. It makes you a happier person. And of course, if you're a happy salesperson, your customers will smell it. They are inspired by your energy and they might buy more. Even if you, just because of the fact that you feel good, right? Uh, so I think everybody has to do what he or she likes very much. And it can be hobby projects or side things. On the other hand, of course, of course, you build your personal brand, right? And a personal brand, if you look into the literature or online or some other sources, um, it is proven that it grows much, much faster than a company brand. You cannot, you outcompete a company with your personal brand because people connect with people and connecting with a logo or a company where there are people behind takes a bit longer. So if you can build your personal brand along with the company brand, it's a nice win-win because the personal brand uh, yeah, gives you it's it's it goes very fast. So if you build your personal brand in area in area A, and you also work in area B, and these A and B seem unrelated, the brands will remain. So you you're, people have this. How is it called again? Um, it's the mirror association tendency. Yeah, that's a very important psychological principle. So if they assume you're very good at one area. Well, if they see you are very good at one area and they like you for that, they extrapolate and they will assume you're good at everything. For example, if you're a very good sportsman or girl or, or woman, they, people will generally assume you're very good in business and selling and everything. Yeah. So the brand is very important. You know, when you and I have a, a, a common uh, interest in, in reading and learning, reading a number of different um, books at the same time. I heard you talk about that before. Why don't you tell us what you're reading and how you're connecting that to your business? 
Yeah, well, I'm reading, uh, I'm a multidisciplinary reader, so I read across disciplines a lot of them. Psychology is my favorite one. So it's not engineering, it's not science or so. Psychology is my favorite discipline. I have tons of books on the topic. I think I have in my library 30 to 40 psychology books. Uh, finance, economics, history, science, uh, what else? Love, relationships. I mean, biographies, biographies a lot. And of course, having a multidisciplinary uh, library has some benefits because reading a book in the morning feels completely different than reading a book in the evening when you're a bit tired after a heavy day. So you also need to balance the heaviness of books. That's one general rule why, why you should do that. Um, but then um, how do I connect it? Well, I, I have this, this concept I love very much and I saw it happening with myself. I was reading Charles Munger's book. Uh, he's the business partner of Warren Buffett. One, one of the people I admire because that, that guy is really smart. <laughs> but um, he has written Poor Charlie, Charlie's Almanac, so which is a fantastic book. It's not a cheap one, but there's so much wisdom. Um, it was inspired based on uh, Benjamin Franklin's Almanac. And there are so many principles in it. And the guy tells, if you start reading a lot of books, multidisciplinary, you are forming a lattice work of knowledge. So one book gives you a data point here, one book, the second one here, third one. But after a while, they start connecting. And my personal experience was if you exceed the threshold of 50 books, if you exceed 50 books from different disciplines, nonfiction, well-selected, very good quality books, you start forming the lattice work. If you have the lattice work, it's a guidance, it's a decision framework, which allows you to make not only understand your business or marketing, or pricing better, that's the hard thing of it. But generally, it makes you a very good decision maker, I think. Uh, so I think it, I, generally the, 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 the biggest value for me is better decision making, uh, having much more variables involved in the decision making. That's fantastic, Wim. Uh, I, I saw a, a graphic recently of first you have to collect the dots, then you can connect the dots. And Correct. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it, it was a beautiful graphic. In any case, let's uh, let's connect the dots and tie the thread to the end of this show because we are coming up on time with our final question, which I'm sure you know about, and that is the airplane banner question. So the airplane banner question is quite simple. We, Jim and I, have found an airplane, and we have a banner that flies behind it, and you get a tweet's worth of characters. So sentence roughly to fly that plane around the world in front of every water professional's home what do you want that banner to say wow yeah that's a, a cool question I, I didn't really prepare a lot here <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so it's specifically for the water industry correct that's right yeah mm-hmm i what i yeah, what I would say, I, I, well, here's the thing. Um, I think I see many struggle, many people struggling with being unique and they're in bloody competition and they have problems with that. Um, I, I think I would put on the banner, it's, uh, I would put on the banner, be a purple cow. So this is like you have this book by um, Seth Godin. It's worth reading. I mean, it's being unique. Make sure you are unique 
and create your tiny blue ocean within a red ocean. So be a purple cow, I would put on it, I think. Wow. One we haven't gotten before, that's for sure. And it's fitting yeah, for someone yeah. like Wim. So thank you, Wim. That's yeah, awesome. Exactly. Wim, this is fantastic. We got so much wisdom. We know how much uh, our audience is going to enjoy this uh, this podcast. So thanks so much for your uh, time and 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 your thoughts and, and giving us this unique uh, ideas of, of how to be a better person and a better water professional. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Adam, uh, Jim. It was a pleasure. Huh? And thanks a lot for this initiative. I think it's highly valuable for industry. Yeah.